With summer over, with kids back to school, we are so glad that you chose to join us this morning. So today is Back to Church Sunday, and it is a day where thousands of churches across the country have invited their communities to come back to church with them. And it's just an excuse for us to do the same thing. Uh, Some of you may be family or neighbors or friends, and someone said, hey, do you want to come to church with me today? And I'm glad that you did that. We also tied it in with a kickoff theme uh, since football is in full swing. And after the service, as you've heard before, make sure you stay. Um, The Welcome Center has a great photo booth, so get some pictures out there and then stay and get to know us a little bit more out on the front lawn after the service. If you don't know me and you haven't met me and you still want to after the next half hour, (laughs) make sure you find me outside, uh, introduce yourself, and if you want to talk and learn more about our church, you can ask me or, as Sarah said, anybody with one of those lanyards that says, how can I help? So we just want you to feel welcome, and we're super, super glad that you're here with us. It's going to be a great day. First Baptist Church is here to support you and not only your spiritual needs, but your community needs, to help you discover what the Bible says about God's plan for your life. But the church is not this building. As hard as we work to keep it looking nice, this is just a place where we meet. You are the church. The people that make up our membership, the people that come out on Sundays to worship with us, that is the church. And Jesus said, my church will last until I come again. So all across the country this morning, there are churches meeting across the globe throughout the day. On Sundays, there are churches gathering together to worship Jesus Christ, to learn more about him, to lift up his name in song. How many of you sing during the week? in your car or some other time? How many of you sing with groups of people during the week? It's not as often, is it? I sang in school. I loved singing in chorus and different groups. And then you get old and you just stop singing with people, right? Nobody invites you onto the platform at Christmas time and says, do you want to sing Jesus Loves Me or Away in a Manger? You just kind of lose that. But every week we come together and we love to sing, even if... I don't think I have a great voice. I still love to sing because we're doing something together. And that's part of what worship is. The basis of our Christian faith is a certain and sure hope in God that he's at work in our lives, that things don't have to remain the same tomorrow as they are today. A hope that broken things can be mended. A hope that we are loved by our creator. Maybe this morning you've come because you need hope. Maybe you saw the banner outside and said, that's the place. I, could, I really could use some hope today. Maybe the weight of the world is just more than you can bear. There's a lot of things going on in your life. Maybe you're here today because you just feel like there's nowhere else you can turn. I want you to know that hope happens here, not because of us, but because of the one that we're here to worship, because we have a God in heaven who not only knows you by name, but he loved you enough to send a savior to give you hope, not only for here and today, but hope for eternity. So a few years back, there was a new preacher visiting a country church down in Louisiana. It was during the depression and electricity was just coming to that part of the country. 
I wasn't around then, and most of you probably weren't, but there was a movement of trying to get electricity to the whole country, right? So there was a little church out in the country, and they had one lone light bulb hanging from the ceiling of their church. And they met at night, and they were excited. They were thankful that they had that light to meet by. And there was this young man who was called in as a guest speaker, preaching away in the evening, and right in the middle of the sermon, he could hear distant thunder, and all of a sudden, the power goes out. They're all sitting in total darkness. There's no street lights, there's no other lights around, and he's stumbling around on the platform, trying not to fall off, and suddenly, from the back of the room, an old deacon says, preach on, preacher, we can't see you, but we can still see Jesus. Isn't that often the way it is, that when it's our darkest days, that's when we can see Jesus? When all the things around us are clouding our vision, there's so much going on, we don't always look up and see the one that we need. So sometimes it takes that darkness. We've lost our way. We don't know where to turn. In the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. And it's Jesus who both illuminates our lives and exposes all that needs to be restored. A broken world around us, sin in our own hearts, things that we tried to push down or hide, and Jesus and God's word illuminate those things. Not to make us feel guilty or bad about them, but to realize that we have a problem. We have sin that we can't take care of. And if you've ever had that broken relationship with somebody in your family or maybe a close friend, and you're just wishing for that forgiveness, you're hoping that you would finally be able to put the past behind you, that that person would say, I forgive you, I love you, and that relationship would be restored. That's what God is calling the world to do. He created this world, but sin broke our relationship with him. And so through Jesus coming and living at this earth, dying on the cross, he reaches out his hand and says, I want you to be forgiven. I want a relationship with you. I want you to know how much I love you. So this morning we're looking at three reasons for hope. Hope in God's plan for your life, hope in God's never-ending love, and hope in God's strength. We can find hope in all three of those things. And if you come back to our church in the future, I'm preaching through the gospel of Mark, and my normal style of preaching is what you would call expository preaching. I preach through a passage, and I explain what it means, and talk about how we can apply it to our lives today, how we can understand it better. But today, since it's a day of hope, I'm talking about hope. So this is topical preaching. So those of you that come regularly and are thinking, this is different. It is a little bit different, but that's okay. Hope in God's plan for our lives. The Bible tells us that God is the creator and you were created by him and for him. You're not an accident, some random chance of evolution that brought you into life, that brought you here today. He made you with a purpose and with intention. He placed you uniquely in the family that you grew up in. He equipped you with your own identity with gifts and abilities. And the biggest and hardest question for people all through the ages to try and answer has been, 
Who am I? And why am I here? Does it make any difference to the world that I live another day or I don't? Who am I helping? What am I doing here? And why does it all matter? And the best thing is God didn't leave his creation just wondering the answer to those questions. He gave us his word, which spells it all out for us. And in addition to knowing who we are and why we're here, he also gives us hope. A favorite Bible verse for many people is found in the book of Jeremiah. He's one of the prophets. And if you want to turn with me there, you can, or I think I'm going to have the words up on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 29. The backdrop for this passage is the nation of Israel has been conquered again. They've been taken away to Babylon, which is currently Iraq. So when you hear Iraq in the news, think Israel's old arch nemesis. That's who Iraq is, and they've continued to fight against Israel year after year. So the Babylonians came in, captured the Israelites, took them away. They're living in a foreign country. They're not able to worship God the same way. They're in exile, and it's a very dark time for the people of Israel. Many of God's people had completely lost hope, and they started thinking after year after year, maybe God has just forgotten about us. Maybe we messed up so badly this time that he's not coming back. He's just going to leave us here. I believe some of us today might feel that way. You think about some of the things that you've done and you can't undo, and you think, maybe, maybe God is just done with me. Maybe he's given up on me like my family has, like my friends have. After the far-reaching pandemic, after conflicts within your family, maybe after the loss of loved ones or a scary health diagnosis, maybe you're wondering if God has forgotten about you. And maybe you're tempted to lose hope. Jeremiah made a profound statement as he was inspired by God's Holy Spirit to write these words to God's people. The prophets were sent with a message from God uniquely for that time and for their people. But there are some things that are true for us today too. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God places hope in the hearts of his people. And he told them that even though they were living in a foreign land, a land that didn't belong to them, even though they'd been captured, that Jerusalem had been destroyed, God was not done with them yet. He still had a good plan for them, not to see them harmed further. God was working for a better future for Israel, and he had not forgotten about them. And when they prayed and when they turned back to God, he would listen and he would restore them. Later in chapter 32, God tells Jeremiah to go buy a piece of property. George and I were just talking about that this week. It's amazing how these passages come up throughout our, throughout our week and how God reminds us of things we need to hear. God told Jeremiah to purchase land that was being besieged by the enemy. Why would you go buy land that's probably going to be taken over by a foreign power? But God said, you'll be back. 
you'll be back in your land and there, something great is going to happen. It's like planting fruit trees or grape vines. Anybody have experience doing that? Sometimes you put in a seed or a, a small sapling and there's no fruit. Your kids, if they're wondering where the fruit is, realize that it's going to take maybe a couple of years before there's fruit. You have to take care of it. You have to water it. You have to pull the weeds out from around it. And many of those twigs look like they have no chance of surviving. But through the dormant winter, something's happening underground. The roots are sucking up water and nutrients. They're growing. They're getting stronger. And eventually, that tree is going to blossom and bear fruit. God was asking Jeremiah to remain faithful and to keep trusting him, to plant himself there in their land, even though it seemed like there was no chance of survival. God was working an even greater plan for the good of his people. Wherever you find yourself today, I want to encourage you that God has a plan for your life. It's unique to you. His plan for your life is not necessarily exactly the same steps for my life or the person sitting next to you. But when you begin to know God, when you restore that relationship with Him by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you start reading His Word and living to please Him in your everyday life, your steps start to align with that plan that God has for you. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if you're wondering what this plan looks like, it's glorifying God. That's his plan for every single person. He created people in his image, and we are his image bearers. That means we show the world and everything around us what he is like. So that's the part of our plan that's the same. We all have that same core plan glorifying God through everything we do, work, home, family, friends, neighbors, all of those things, your retirement, your sickness, your work, whatever it is, are you glorifying God? Are you showing people what he's like? And he sent his son Jesus to let us see firsthand what God is like. If God were a man and walked this earth, what would he do? That was Jesus. He became a man, but he still maintained his deity so that he was a man who was perfect and sinless. In last week's message, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is love. Love God and love your neighbor. Is your life wrapped up in yourself? Is it all about your comfort and what you want, whether it's accumulating stuff or putting things away for retirement or lavishing gifts on your kids and your grandkids, you're never going to have enough money. You're never going to have enough friends. Very few of us look in the mirror and say, that's just what I was hoping for. We're never going to look as good as we want to, and it doesn't get better. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. <laughs> but God says that when you look to Him for fulfillment, when you look to Him for are things going okay? Then you're going to see that it's him working in you and through you. Instead of looking to other people to say, good job, you look to him and say, well done, good and faithful servant. When you're pleasing God, 
you are living that best plan and you are living a life that brings glory to him. And the people around you are going to be so happy. Not because you're focused on every one of their little needs, but because God's love just spills over out of your life. And the more you try to do that, the more effortless that becomes. Loving your neighbor, as Jesus said, loving your enemy, even the person that you think has it out for you, you can say, but God loves this person. How can I love this person too? God sees value in this person, and I'm just really having a hard time. God, give me the strength, give me the grace to do that, because I know how much you love me. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We find God's plan for our lives in his word. And that's why this church is founded on his word. It's not founded on being a Baptist or being part of a denomination or following a leader somewhere. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We're just here to worship him together and to learn more about him together. You can trust God. You can trust him for this plan. His love and his care for his creation are unfailing and they are never ending. And that's our second point this morning. We can find hope in God because of his never ending love. I don't know all of you. Some of you are first time guests. Some of you are family members. But I do know something that is true about every one of you, even those of you watching online that I might not be able to see. Maddie, I don't know if you're in your pajamas today watching, or if others are at home watching, sitting in their living room, but I know something about you. God loves you individually. He loves you. Scripture says that he loved the world so much that he sent his son to be the sacrifice that we needed. Love is the most powerful force on the face of the earth. The Apostle Paul appealed to that powerful love to the early church as he wrote to them in Rome. Just like Israel living in a foreign land, now a foreign country had come to Israel. The pagan nation of Rome was there. And they had invaded Israel. They had invaded a lot of the world. The Roman Empire was spreading far and wide. And the people of Israel found it a difficult place to live. If they were new believers, they were followers of Jesus Christ, it was even harder because of persecution. You could lose your life for proclaiming Jesus as king instead of Caesar. But Paul wanted to give hope to those Christians. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 and 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul tells the early Christians that you are conquerors, you're not defeated, no matter how bad things may seem, no matter how bad your situation appears, and you can't find a way out of it, God has said, you will overcome this. You're a conqueror because God is with you. How could Paul make this claim? It's because of God's love for them. God's love will never end. 
He's convinced that nothing could separate the believer from God's love. Death can't do it. Demons can't do it. The depths of despair can't do it. Sickness, illness, a cranky coworker, a hard-to-live-with spouse, none of those things can separate you from God's love. It's so prevailing, it's so strong, and it is ever-present and never-ending. God loves us and loves you no matter what. He loves you when you love him back, and he loves you when we fail to love him in return. How many of you are grandparents? Raise your hand if you're a grandparent. Great. How many of you are parents? As a parent, as a grandparent, we're called to love and care for our children, to raise them, to know right and wrong, to feed them, to clothe them, to put a roof over their heads. It's our responsibility to teach them, to prepare them for independence, that they would move out. We're at the final end of that stage in our lives, and I'm not pushing you out, John, but the goal (laughs) is for our kids to grow up and move out. Amen? Sometimes, often, our kids make foolish choices. They make foolish decisions. Even after asking for advice, they choose something else. They act selfishly. There, I can say it. They act selfishly without thinking about you. They ignore the consequences. Even when you say, if you do this, you're going to lose this. If you do that, that's going to happen. They still do it. I still do that, don't I? Don't you? We still make foolish decisions. But in spite of that, we don't give up on them. We keep loving them. We keep sacrificing for them. We keep putting their needs ahead of our own. That kind of sacrificial, pervasive love is what Paul said God has for you. The Bible uses the word love in our translation, but in the original Greek, it's agape, agape love, unconditional love, selfless, sacrificial, the kind that looks for nothing in return, the kind that does the dishes and doesn't keep track of how many times you've done them and how many times I've done them, the kind that puts gas in the car because it needs to happen, not because, well, if you forget, then it's your own fault. The kind of love that is thinking about the other person more than yourself. That's God's love for you. And the Bible says, even when we were sinners, even when we didn't even know or love God, He loved us and sent His Son to die on the cross for us. Isn't that amazing? That love went far and wide and is available to everyone on the planet. The question is, Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you loved Him back? Because when you do that, that broken relationship is restored. doesn't mean that God doesn't keep loving you, but as a just God, He has rules for right and wrong. And He says that everyone who's been forgiven by Jesus, everyone who has trusted Him and repented of their sins, they can spend eternity with me in heaven. But anyone who ignores God, who ignores his love, who ignores his son, Jesus Christ, the Bible says they will face the consequences. They didn't want to know me here on earth. 
they're not going to know me in eternity. And the Bible says that's a place called hell where you're in darkness, you're in pain, and you're separated from God. You're separated from everything good. You don't get to hang out with your friends and play beer pong for the rest of eternity. It's just dark and alone. It's horrible. And God said, that's what happens if you haven't trusted Christ as Savior. Because our own personal sins are that bad in front of a holy God. Our hope is not only found in knowing that he has a good plan for us, but also in knowing that he loves us and he wants us to be his children, to be his sons and daughters. And there's nothing that can separate us from that love once we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that brings us to our third point. Our hope is not in our own strength. As parents and grandparents, you think you can take care of your kids and protect them from everything, but you can't. Our strength is never enough, but our hope is in God's strength. Living the Christian life is not an easy task. Living counterculturally, loving our enemies, giving generously, serving faithfully, avoiding sin obediently are all costly. And following in Jesus' steps is something we can never do on our own. If we try it alone, we're going to feel exhausted and burned out. We need to rely on God's strength instead to do that. Paul talks about that hope that we have as he wrote to the early church in the city of Philippi. In the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul talks about this hope as he wrote to this church, again, they're experiencing persecution for being Christians. They're suffering. They're being imprisoned. Some of them are losing their lives just for naming Jesus Christ as Savior. As Paul wrote this letter, he himself sat in prison, in chains, in shackles, because he preached the gospel. And when leaders said, be quiet, Stop doing this. All you have to do is just stop and we'll leave you alone. And Paul said, I can't. I have to share God's amazing love with the world. I have to tell people the good news about Jesus. So they threw him in prison. You'd think that he would feel hopeless and helpless there. But in fact, it's just the opposite. He's overflowing with hope. He said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God takes up residence inside us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and becomes the engine of our faithful obedience. It's not you just saying, by my own willpower, I'm just going to be good today. It's the Holy Spirit living through you and you recognizing how much God loves you, how much He's done for you and saying, I want to show people that kind of love. I want to live that way. So when you feel like you can't forgive that person who hurt you, that family member who's still not talking to you, the Spirit of God gives you strength to set that person free, to forgive them and not hold that against them any longer. That's supernatural forgiveness. And not only does it set them free, but it removes the bitterness from your heart. You're holding on to something and it's doing you no good. When we want to defeat a sinful pattern in our life, something that we just haven't been able to give up, 
We don't have to do it alone. God's strength can help us resist the temptations. The Bible says we were once prisoners to sin, but through Christ we are made free. The chains fall off and we can walk in obedience to God instead of staying chained to that sin, to that lifestyle. I can't stop doing this, but God can change you. That's what's so amazing about coming to church. It's not because these people are the best cooks. A lot of them are. It's not because that they're always smiling. A lot of them do. But it's because they're changed people. The Spirit of God living in someone changes them from the inside out. And that is something exciting, not only to see happening, but to be around other people who are wanting to experience that change. When we want to make a difference in the world by serving those around us, we can accomplish so much more, not because of just our own hard work, but because of the work that God has already done in and through us. When Paul said, I can do all things in Philippians 4, he was very specific. In verse 12, Paul said, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be abounding. In any way and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, of abundance and need. Jesus is the one who gave Paul strength. And in verse 14, he said, you shared in my troubles. The Christians in Philippi were an encouragement to Paul while he struggled. Paul never made it out of that prison cell. He was taken to be executed, and he gave up his life for his faith in Jesus Christ. But the peace of God guarded his heart, guarded his mind from worry, from fear. He knew that God's love would never fail, even if he lost his own life. That didn't mean that God failed, because he knew that to be absent from his body was to be present with the Lord. He had eternity waiting for him. Unfortunately, this is one of the verses in the Bible that gets misrepresented a lot. People may hang this on a wall or post it on Instagram or Facebook and say, I can do anything through Christ. Maybe they're trying to do something difficult. Maybe they are claiming they can do anything. But remember Paul's context. He was talking about being content in any difficult situation and still bringing praise and glory to God. He didn't say, I can go run a marathon at any speed, that I could beat anybody at arm wrestling. He didn't say, I could make the best cake and nothing's going to happen. He didn't say, I could do those things. He said, as you go through your life, you are going through it with God, and he's going to give you the strength to do the things he wants you to do, the strength to do the things you need to do, not the strength to do anything you want. I'm never going to be able to dunk a basketball. I can't claim this verse, write it on my shirt, and go dunk a basketball, especially now. I can only jump like three inches. Lower the hoop. Thank you. <laughs> so this is like the, you know, like the just do it, right? Just go out and do it. You can do it. God says, I'm going to give you the strength to do what I've called you to do. I'm never going to put something in your path that's too hard for you to handle, whether it's a difficult temptation or whether it's 
loving a neighbor who's really hard to love. I'm going to give you the strength to do those things no matter what. Paul wanted to be a faithful witness in spite of his circumstances. And we have hope that we can do that as well. Hope happens when we come to realize that we don't have the strength on our own to live like Jesus. Hope comes when we submit ourselves to his word and say, I'm going to follow and do it your way, God. I've been trying to do it my way for so long, and it's just not working. I'm going to do it your way. And he's going to empower us for his glory, showing people that as you face life with its ups and downs, that it's different because you're living a life pleasing to Jesus Christ, your Savior. So as we wrap up this morning, my prayer for each one of us today, each one that's here, each one that's watching online, that you would be overflowing with hope as we become more aware of God's plan, God's love, and His strength that can be yours through Jesus Christ. Do you want to know why you're here on earth? Do you want to know why God gave you the family He gave you? Do you want to know God's love? that never ends? Do you want to know his strength that can help you endure anything? The hope and the love and the strength that I've talked about today can be found only through a relationship in Jesus Christ. It's not through membership in a church. It's not through giving more money. It's through knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and knowing your Heavenly Father through him. People have sometimes said Jesus was a great man, but he wasn't God. If he was a great man, would he have said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father but by me. If he was a great man, he wouldn't have lied to everyone. But he made that claim because it was true. He is the Son of God. And he is the only way to know our Heavenly Father. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that I mentioned before say that we can only be saved by God's grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by your own works, but it's a gift from God so that no one can boast or brag about it. No one entering heaven will say, ha, I made it. I showed them all. They're wrong and I did it. You're going to walk in saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, their name is entered into the Lamb's book of life, never to be removed from that book. And that's your entrance into heaven. Is your name written in the book? If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're here as a guest today and this is something you've heard little bits and pieces about, but you've never really understood it, I would love to talk to you today. Don't go home thinking, oh, this is something I can take care of some other day. Let today be the day that you start that relationship with God. So come talk to me. Talk to someone wearing one of those name tags. They'd be happy to sit down with you over a slice of pizza and talk about knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, knowing God's hope, because it's not hope that we might make it. It's sure hope in the God of the universe. 
if you've already done that? If you've already trusted him as your savior, are you trusting in Jesus? Is he your hope? Or are you still waiting for the government? Are you still waiting for a doctor, for someone else to fix things? Or maybe you're thinking, I've got to make this right. I've got to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I'm the only one that can do this. Even if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can still live a life that is weak and unjoyful because you just keep trying to do it your own way. And God says, follow me. I have a plan for your life. I want you to go step by step with me. Spend time in his word, getting to know who he is and how he wants us to live. And that's what coming to church is about. Not only do we sing and enjoy being together, but we dig into God's word and said, what does it look like in 2022 in Western New York? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? How can we encourage each other to do that? Are you trying to do everything on your own or are you turning your life over to God's Holy Spirit to lead and to guide you? Mark's going to come up. We're going to sing a closing song. And then I really hope that you will all stay for our time out on the lawn. I hope that I'll get a chance to meet you and that you enjoy the rest of this day. And I hope that you'll be back again next Sunday. Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for this beautiful day. Thank you for giving us great weather so that we can be outside on the lawn and enjoy uh, this beautiful creation and this beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for the food that you've prepared and just pray that you'd bless it to us as we fellowship and enjoy eating it together and uh, having fun playing games and just hanging out and talking. Just pray that you'd bless all that time together. Lord, I thank you for the guests that came today. I thank you that they were willing to step out of their comfort zone and come hear more about you. And I just pray, Lord, that if there's anyone this morning that's watching online or here with us today in the church building, I pray that they would trust you as Savior and that they would go home changed. May our Heavenly Father, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing in Christ Jesus the Son, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in all hope. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.